Good evening. This is Heartstock Radio, and I'm Carol Murphy, your host. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today is Ken Lingi, and he is the executive director at the National Coalition for Community Capital, better known as NC3. NC3 is the National Coalition for Community Capital, and in these rather trying times. I'm having a a difficult time myself with some of the interactions that I've seen between people and police and all of the things that are going on right now. It's kind of nice to focus on solutions. And that is what we're going to do in this half hour. Ken is going to share with us where his organizations see problems and what are the solutions for those issues. And uh, remember also, before we bring Ken on here, remember that you can find us on Facebook. You can also email us at heartstockradio at gmail.com. Just a moment. Ken will be here with us and we're going to talk about some impact investing and using your dollars in a, in a very strong, positive way. This is Heartstock. Thanks for listening. This is Heartstock Radio, and our guest today is Ken Lingi. He's the executive director of the National Coalition for Community Capital, better known as NC3. Hi, Ken. Hi, Carol. <laughs> Thank you so much for being our guest and um, sharing some of your wisdom with us here. Please tell our guests just a little bit about your organization and what you do there. Sure. So uh, NC3, National Coalition for Community Capital, is first and foremost a, a coalition. It's a people from a variety of sectors uh, nationwide who are working together to uh, drive a shift to a, a more sustainable economy that's more democratic, more inclusive, that creates better opportunities for uh, people on main streets across across the country to get more involved on the production side of the economy to invest in their own communities, to get a chance to vote basically for the kinds of economies they they wanna see in their communities. So a lot of that's about local investing and and developing tools and opportunities and strategies for local investing. It's also about a regulatory reform to create the legal opportunities to develop uh, instruments for people to, to use, to invest in enterprises in different ways. Um, sometimes people are surprised to know that a fair amount of what would seem like common, easy ways to invest in your, say, your neighbor's business are actually illegal and have been for, for decades. And so, you know, we work on on reforming the regulations to to better enable that that to happen for, for people to to support their neighbors and 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 grow local economies in in stronger, more democratic, inclusive ways. And you're speaking with us from Vermont, correct? Yeah, I'm in Vermont, but our, our board members and 
and our our stakeholders and our members are are all over the country, mm-hmm. so including this, in Hawaii. Hmm, nice. So this is not just within the borders of the state of Vermont, but your efforts are on a national level, just like your name says, right? Yeah, and you know <laughs> we we uh, work with partners actually abroad as well, especially in the UK, but. We focus mostly nationally because a lot of our work is related to the federal regulations around investment. So there is a kind of a, a national focus there. And and there are some uh, state regulations that we work with as well. And there are some particular states, particular regions that are kind of maybe a little bit uh, further along with developing the kinds of local investment opportunities that we that we believe are, are valuable. And so we we work within those those regions, but then also work to share the the learnings from those regions and the innovations from those regions uh, nationally, and and spread them to other regions as well. Mm-hmm. And what about you, Ken? Did you start out in Var- Vermont? Are you a Vermont native? I am not, and I did not start out in, the, in finance <laughs> either. I, I I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in the the seventies and the eighties when. Um, you know the the steel industry was falling apart, and um, I think that's had a had a big impact on kind of the on the work on my belief in the importance of building more resilient local economies. You know, it was, it was pretty rough in the early '80s, in particular, when steel mills were closing, and there were whole communities of people who were suddenly out of work, and all of the the local businesses depended on all those those people and their paychecks coming out of the steel mill, and so. <clears throat> There were, you know, main streets full, you know, entire main streets around me that were boarding up overnight in some cases when the mills would close. And and I, I grew up with kids whose 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 uh, fathers in particular were out of work suddenly. And but then also in Pittsburgh, you know, there's there's some old industrial money that's around the city. And so I, I definitely was in some ways at the intersection between knowing folks from sort of both sides of the tracks, you might say, and um, seeing a. Uh, a disparity in, in wealth and opportunity and seeing the dependence of, of so many people on large enterprises and that were that were governed of course not by the local people the 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 mill workers had no say really in whether or not the mill closed i mean you could argue i guess that you know the uh, negotiations labor negotiations had something to do with that but at the end of the day really the workers in a mill were pretty dependent on decisions that were being made in a in a corporate boardroom far away. And so I, I love the idea of guiding our economy. I've, I've loved the idea since I was a kid, really, of, of guiding our economy in a direction where there's a little more local ownership and control. Mm-hmm. And then what brought you to Vermont from Pittsburgh? Well, I mean, I sort of fell in love with, with Vermont uh, as, a, as a young person. Um, and, you know, I think I saw some of the community strength here in a way that, that maybe I, I was sort of sad was sometimes lacking in, in the communities where I grew up. And it was not to say that the people in the communities in, in Pittsburgh weren't uh, lovely people and were engaged in community, but the economic resilience in some ways maybe wasn't, wasn't there quite as much. And of course, you know, Vermont's gorgeous. And mm-hmm. um, I was very interested in being out in the woods and paddling on lakes and skiing and on mountains and things. And so here was a, a great opportunity to do those things. And, and in time in Vermont, I, I, I found myself as the uh, director of a public library in, in, a, in a community, in a rural community. And, and for me, like I said, connecting to the community is, is, has always been very important. And being able to play a, a leadership role in the community through the, in that role 
which it was without a whole lot of other local uh, community enterprises was really meaningful. And I also realized that there were, there were limits to what I could do as the director of a public library. You know, I mean, I, obviously everybody thinks, oh, well, I can make some books available and that's, that's important and, and, and create opportunities for folks to, to share resources and connect with one another and do those kinds of things. But, you know, there's this economic challenge un underlying much of rural America. And I was certainly seeing that in a major way in, in my community that was very different than the, than, this, than the economic challenges that, you know, I saw as a kid in Pittsburgh, but it was still, it's still all stemmed from that same place that a very small number of people actually really control our economy, that we don't have a democratic economy, that, you know, we think of a democracy as being about about voting for the world we want to see. And certainly we can go to the ballot box and and vote for president and for, for other other offices. But, you know, we have relatively little power in terms of voting for the kind of economy we want to see. And 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 I felt like the people in my community and in, in rural Vermont, maybe especially just didn't really have a whole lot of control there and creating the kind of economy they wanted to see. And so I, I went back to business school. I, I went to an MBA program here in Vermont uh, that was sort of focused on sustainability and innovative strategies to kind of change how our economy works. And in, through that process, I, I came to, to learn about community capital strategies that are very much about creating better opportunities for people to, to drive through local investment generally a shift to a, to a more inclusive democratic economy. Can you talk just a little bit more about the strategies that you learned about while you were getting your MBA and maybe how that changed your mind and maybe how it can change our economies and make them more democratic? Sure. Well, you know, a lot of it has to do, you know, it starts with with capital and, and where where capital is because capital has power. Uh, financial capital has power. There are other kinds of capital, of course. And financial capital, of course, have been all learning about in recent years in particular. It was a big topic, obviously, in the democratic debates. Financial capital has become more and more concentrated in fewer and fewer hands. And the other side of that is there's less and less power in, in more and more hands, right? So there are entire communities where there is very little little capital in a relative to very, very little influence. And so, so essentially so they're, they're communities are being controlled by powers outside of them, by people who don't live in the community and have no interest or stake in the community that they're making decisions about and impacting yeah, those people. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What kind of jobs are available? What kinds of products are available? What, who, who are the people who are, who are, who are launching enterprises? All those kinds of things. So some of the things that have happened in recent decades the number of, of new business starts has declined quite a bit just in the past decade. The number of community banks has been reduced uh, to about a third of what it what it was a couple of decades ago. And the amount of capital in community banks has reduced been reduced substantially as well. So and those used to be sources of, you know, local sources of for folks who were interested in starting businesses in folks who had existing small businesses and wanted to kind of grow a little bit or overcome hard times or, or whatever. And so it's become harder and harder for folks in communities to get the money they need to launch a business or develop a business. And the percentage of capital from the, to the venture capital system as it is now 
that goes to most of America is very little. Uh, something like 80% of venture capital money goes to about five different zip codes. Three of those are in California and then New York and Boston as well. And so the rest of the, the 20% that gets spread around the rest of the country is just is, is insufficient for all of the would-be entrepreneurs around the, around the country. And something like 2% of venture capital money goes to female founders and like 1% of venture capital money goes to African-American founders. And so there's an imbalance in, and an injustice in how the opportunity that's available to entrepreneurs and available to, to communities. And, and that's all voting power in my mind. You know, that, that financial capital represents voting power. It represents voting for the kind of uh, economy and the kind of world we, we want to have. And who gets to decide what that looks like, you know? And, and I think one of the things we're seeing, you talked about events that, that are unfolding, you know, this past week mm-hmm. um, in cities around the country. And I mean, there's, there's a lot of complexity there in some ways. And also in, in some ways there's aspects of the problem that are sort of in some ways kind of simple. And one of the things that in, in my mind is relatively simple about it is that there are massive power disparities. You know, you can imagine that that a, a perfect egalitarian society where you know everybody has is a perfectly equal say is maybe a little bit idealistic, but when whole groups of people by race or by gender or really don't have much of a say in what the world looks like, what kinds of jobs are available, what kinds of benefits are are available at those jobs, or don't have an opportunity to lead, that's just not a democracy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know. Yeah, and it's, it, it just yeah. seems so glaringly obvious, like you were saying, you know, there is a, a, certainly a simplicity to <laughs> seeing you know, wh- where we find ourselves currently. Let's go ahead and take our uh, midway break here, mm-hmm. and um, we will come back and talk about the mission of NC3 and a little history about uh, your origins. This is Hardstock. We will be right back.
This is Heartstock Radio. I am your host, Carol Murphy. Here manning the board is Clark Grant. And today our guest is Ken Linge. He is the director at NC3. Hi again, Ken. Hi, Carol. So as promised, we are going to talk about some of your solutions to what we've already talked about, which is, you know... Kind of, kind of simple and kind of obvious in some ways, especially, especially now it's hard to ignore. But what is the the mission of NC3? And tell us a little bit about how and when you started. Yeah, sure. NC3 basically formed. The founders of NC3 uh, were involved in the introduction of the Jobs Act in in 2012, and part of the Jobs Act was a regulation called Reg CF, Regulation Crowdfunding. And crowdfunding has been around for a long time in, in a lot of ways, but what Reg CF did was allow for Main Street investors, for non-accredited investors, people who, who don't have a million dollars, basically, to in, invest directly through a crowdfunding platform in enterprises, in uh, local enterprises, in any kinds of enterprises. But that had been illegal basically since since the 1930s when laws were put in place with, maybe with good intentions to to protect investors from fraud but they've basically made it you know illegal for people unless you have a million dollars to invest in private enterprise through a public platform so that's that's different now that's changed and so now people people do have the opportunity to invest through a crowdfunding platform so the law fully went into effect a few years ago, and that's basically when NC3 officially launched as an organization, though our founders have been always involved for a long time in, in community capital in various ways. And so we've been been pulling together stakeholders to develop the tools for folks to take advantage of Reg CF and also to continue to reform the regu- regulations to allow for new innovations to, to take take root. Because we believe that more investors across the country, more people, everybody really needs to have an opportunity to, to invest in small private business in their community. And one of the most exciting things that's been happening recently in my mind is that we've started to develop opportunities, better opportunities, uh, identify opportunities for folks to invest in funds, in investment funds and in community investment funds. So you know, that's kind of in some ways then maybe the next evolution of community capital. So you can make direct investments now through crowdfunding, crowd investing platforms that will allow you to get a return as well as support businesses you believe in. And with a fund, then you can have the opportunity to invest in a diversified way in your community, you know, broadly. Maybe you only have a hundred bucks you want to invest and maybe that's not enough to, to spread around to the, to the 10 different businesses that you would like to support. But, you know, maybe th- there are emerging opportunities to do that that we're working on. So both opportunities now and opportunities in the future are sort of where, where we do our work and, and educating folks about those opportunities. So can you talk more specifically about the key components to your approach at NC3 and the the solutions as you see them to this disparity that exists still. Yeah, well, one one important piece that that we believe in is that investment in in communities, investment generally, really needs to be inclusive. So that means that, in my mind, that in a community, folks with deep pockets, folks with very little in their pockets, 
really need to to come together and support each other in i mean there are many cases where it's just sort of obvious where folks have relatively aligned interests shared interests in building a healthy community right but so how how do you do that it to how, how do you if you're a wealthy person living in in a city um how do you how do you work with a person who um, maybe you don't know or who might be be the next great you know sort of business developer in the community but doesn't have the funds to do it doesn't doesn't maybe know the right people to give them the funds that they need so how do you how do you bring the folks in a community together who have different assets different access whether it be information whether it be uh, social capital whether it be just ingenuity whatever it is how do you bring them together to work together to to build those enterprises that make a community strong think about food systems for instance you know there's a growing problem of food deserts in in the country that is a form of injustice really because it preventing people in a, in communities from having access to the you know the most basic need food and they exist in in cities i mean the american american cities have plenty of financial capital you know that's not a problem it's just where is that capital and where is it being directed yeah. and it's a distribution I think issue for most of those people even the, you know the folks with deep pockets who maybe are investing in wall street primarily you would find a lot of people say yeah it'd be great if there were a way to invest in the community to create the kinds of enterprises that the community really needs and you know we're talking about in many cases viable you know economically viable financially viable enterprises that can generate returns and if especially for investors who recognize that there is value in generating not just financial returns but other kinds of returns not just because not for altruistic reasons but for you know personal reasons because if you live in that community it creates a better community for you and your kids as well as everybody else and everybody else's kids you know and basically we're we're in this together we're in you know the idea of a democracy is that is that we are both a collective and we are individuals and both of those things are important and we need to st- stand up as individuals and do things that are both in our self interest and in our communal interest and it's in some ways from a financial standpoint i think maybe we've just kind of gotten away from that recognition but yeah i mean there are there are growing opportunities through crowdfunding platforms and other vehicles um there are you know financial managers and advisors who are who are working actively with um impact investors and in communities to develop better investment opportunities in communities there are incubators of various kinds and and business accelerators that are that are working to connect people so largely it's about uh connecting people and building the pathways that allow folks to to connect investors and entrepreneurs and others uh, economic developers to connect yeah we've got a couple minutes left and i was hoping maybe you could share an example of success that nc3 has uh, gotten to experience using this approach sure well we did, well our founders had a had a had played a big role in getting reg cf passed so so that was that was our first big success and we've hosted um a number of of conferences and brought folks together and we have continued to to drive regulatory reform at the sec level and educate folks on opportunities and opportunities are growing for local investment and we we published our handbook on community investment funds 
just earlier this year that we're very excited about. And we've got we've formed a task force to drive continued innovation of, of community investment funds. And that work in particular right now is is really exciting. I think that's going to um, create a massive change in terms of opportunity at the local level to to drive dollars, to connect investor dollars with valuable local enterprise entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And how might folks reach out to you if they want to continue with this discussion and learn more, get involved? My website is comcapcoalition.org. And my email address is nc3 at comcap.us. Thank you so much. And really appreciate both the work you're doing and uh, sharing your story with us today. Thank you, Carol. Thank you, Ken. This is Hardstock Radio, and we shall be here again next week. As usual, peace. Hardstock Radio is a production of KBMF 102.5, Butte America Radio. Hear our live programs every Friday at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time via live stream at butteamericaradio.org. That time was made for you and me.